2: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Equity
0: I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is humorous.
1: Equity.
2: Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, Bryce?
1: I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. Sustainable investing, ESG investing is obviously a big topic in our community, something that we're very interested in as well. Yeah and we're going to unpack it further in this show so i'm very excited to get started
2: our guest today is emily o'neill who is the esg and equities analyst at perennial and does a large portion of the research for the e-invest future impact small caps fund which we will be digging into today so welcome to the show emily it's great to have you here
0: Thank you, and good job pronouncing the fund's name. Bit of a a a tongue tongue twister. twister. (laughs) Uh, I did just want to quickly start off the conversation by saying all of my comments today are general in nature. This is not financial advice. You should always check out the pds at einvest.com.au and speak to an advisor before you consider investment products.
1: Full credit. Nice one. (laughs) It's a a good reminder. All of our shows are that. Everything we say (laughs) on any platform is that, but important, important reminder to kick off the show. Now, before we get into your fund and some of the research you're doing and ESPN, We'd like to start the show with a bit of a game. We've had Adam Verway from Future Super on before, and we had a bit of a twist on the game. Rather than overrated or underrated, we played ethical or unethical, where we threw out a number of companies and asked whether they met the ethical test or didn't meet the ethical test. And we want to bring that back today because we had a bit of fun with it and there was some interesting results, shall we say. So are you up for playing?
0: Yeah, let's do it.
2: We're going with a sustainable focus on this one.
1: Yes, yes. uh, We'll do sustainable or unsustainable. Okay, cool. That's the preferred terminology. It
0: it is for us, yeah. We consider more more sustainable or not sustainable as opposed to ethical, but let's go for it.
1: Nice one. All right. Well, Bryce and I have a very good mate that works for DHL, the delivery company, (laughs) and he he always wants us to talk about DHL on the show. So we'll kick it off, ethical or unethical. Cool. DHL. Sustainable. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Sustainable or unsustainable, DHL.
0: All right. So DHL is an interesting one. In our fund, we probably wouldn't invest in it because we're kind of focused on more positive contributors and the nature of what companies are doing. And obviously you have to consider the emissions associated with delivering parcels. Although it does seem that DHL is doing some cool things with using bikes and electric vehicles to kind of lower their emissions, which is great, but it would be not for us.
1: Nice. DHL, not a positive contributor, just like our housemate is not a positive (laughs) contributor. He knows that though.
2: (laughs) Sustainable or unsustainable, Amazon.
0: Yeah, okay. So this is kind of on the similar bat. Like, They're not necessarily doing really bad things, but you do have to think about ethical supply chain. So where are their products coming from? You're thinking about the emissions associated with the delivery and also data centres. They're a huge use of energy. Amazon has data centres. They do try and run them on renewables, but again, not for us, not sustainable. Nice. In how we define it. Yeah.
1: It's an interesting one with Amazon because they talk a big game. You know, they've made a lot of commitments around 100% renewable and all that stuff. How much do you weigh what they say compared to what they actually do?
0: Yeah, so that's kind of the biggest risk in ESG investing is kind of the term greenwashing. So it's companies and investors... Saying that their products are sustainable, their operations sustainable, but that's not always the case. So we are really looking for for evidence of doing. And one of the best ways to to do that is to just ask the CEO. You know what? How do you think about sustainability? And you can actually tell how genuine they are by they say, "Oh, just go and read our sustainability report." Or they might go in and say, "Actually, we're doing this, this, and this. We really believe in it. This creates better outcomes for our staff, for our community." investors so we're passionate about it so you can really tell how genuine they are
2: so you have jeff bezos's mobile number
1: (laughs) (laughs) jeff bezos not passionate about sustainability you heard it here first (laughs) next one sustainable or unsustainable lithium miners
0: Okay, so lithium, obviously a key component in batteries which are needed for renewable energy and also a component of electric vehicles. There's a huge need to decarbonise the community through, through renewable sources. The problem with lithium stocks is that it's still mining and mining has environmental concerns, also has safety concerns for the workers and for the communities. So for us, unsustainable. But if you were looking to invest in miners including lithium, you do want to make sure they have a squeaky clean safety record and they're operating in non-risky geographies. So for us, that is an unsustainable.
2: So, so far we have no stocks in the fund.
0: Very <laughs> <laughs> <There are laughs> <intercerning. laughs>
2: Sustainable or unsustainable? Hold cash. <laughs> yeah. cash, sustainable or unsustainable? <laughs> Facebook.
0: Yeah, okay. So again, this is not an unsustainable stock but not a sustainable stock. There's obviously issues around the content. There's concerns around privacy, particularly with the, the leaks that happened in twenty eighteen. So so that's that's a no from us, that one.
1: We're going to get to yes at one point. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see
0: how it goes.
1: I'm feeling we're not. (laughs) If we don't get a yes, we'll put a real softball in there again. All right, next one. Sustainable or unsustainable marijuana
0: stock? Yeah, controversial one. Love it. So, actually, it depends on the use. So, medicinal marijuana, we would probably avoid that from a reputational risk perspective. But actually, the use of hemp in industrial sources can be really sustainable. So, it's a lot more sustainable in clothes then cotton uses less water. So actually, we're going, sometimes it is sustainable. There you go. Sometimes, there we go. Okay. we <laughs> something <laughs> in the park. <fund>. Getting closer. <laughs>
2: sustainable or unsustainable cryptocurrency?
0: Mm. So mining, which is what what happens in cryptocurrency, so for example in Bitcoin, it uses a lot of energy and computer power. So I actually saw a stat, and don't quote me on the well, you will quote me because it's, it's on record. <laughs> but I did see a stat that said cryptocurrency makes up more emissions than Switzerland. Wow. So actually that there is a bit of an environmental impact with mining around around cryptocurrency, but it is an interesting asset class and it does have some outcomes, particularly as people don't want physical cash in, in a COVID safe environment. It's a digital currency, so it can have some benefits, but unsustainable from an environmental point of view.
1: Fair enough. We're getting closer. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Next one, sustainable or unsustainable Tesla?
0: Yes. Okay. So producer of electric vehicles, which is great is great. Passenger vehicles do account for 7% of global CO2 emissions, so electrifying our transport network is is super important and particularly replacing fossil fuel burning engines. But the problem with Tesla is there have been some safety concerns due with their factories and they do have a very vocal CEO, so there is a bit of a reputational risk there, but it's on the right track.
2: Interesting, so vocal CEO weighs into your analysis of whether or not it's a sustainable company.
0: Well, in terms of reputational risk, so if you have people or or kind of operations that could be considered a little bit risky or or controversial, that definitely can put volatility in the stock and we, we want to avoid those types of things.
1: Interesting. I imagine it matters what they're vocal about as well. Like if they're vocally saying switch to renewables, (laughs) that's probably fine. (laughs) If it's Elon saying, I don't care about COVID lockdowns, people come back to the factory, that's probably not good to be vocal about. Exactly. So we
0: want to make sure that they're they're kind of vocal on on the issues that really matter and are not encouraging socially unaware type of environments. So
2: Nice. So I think we ended up with maybe half a marijuana (laughs) (laughs) store.
0: Great portfolio. Bye. (laughs)
2: So Emily, before we jump into the Future Impact Small Caps Fund and the work that you're doing there, we always love to get a bit of an idea of your background, particularly when it comes to the first investment that you may have, have made and the story behind that and perhaps a lesson or two that you got from that. So thinking back to your time, I mean, what was the first investment?
0: Yeah, so it was actually back when I was working uh, in a bar and I had barely any money, but I had about a thousand dollars, and so I thought, what can I do with that? And I actually put it into an ETF, an Asian market ETF, which was quite good timing. I think it went. I ended up selling it up twenty percent, which I thought was a pretty pretty good win. Definitely gave me a bit of a taste for volatility on the markets. I also started investing when I was in my early days with, it's now called Raise, but it used to be called Acorn and it's a micro-investing platform. I actually worked there for a little bit and that also gave me a little bit of exposure to investing. So it rounds up your virtual spare change. That was a cool kind of introduction, I guess, to physically investing.
2: What do you think of the Acorns to raise brand change? <laughs> <for
0: yourself? laughs> yeah, true. Good. Fresh, fresh, new, oh, fresh yeah. new look. <laughs>
1: so from that first investment in the ETF, putting money in raise to where you are now, have you developed a personal investing philosophy?
0: Well, sustainable investing, of course. Very on brand. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I actually do think if you're investing as an individual, you know, people spend their degrees and their careers working out the stock market and and looking at how to invest professionally. So I think if you're not a professional investor and and you don't have enough funds to diversify your your portfolio, you should really be looking at managed funds and ETFs, which is a great way to kind of get exposure to different geographies and different sectors um, and have it managed by professionals. So my investment philosophy and what I tell a lot of my friends is if you don't have the time, if you don't have the funds, look look at one of those options because they're going to give you better outcomes longer term, hopefully.
2: So speaking of ETFs, we can, we'll can we move into the perennial and e-invest side of things. So e-invest creates tradable active ETF investment solutions for the products that perennial, I guess, come up with and manage. Yep. And some of them include income generator fund, cash booster... Core Income and Income maximizer. So a lot of income-based <laughs> <laughs> income products there. But the one that we want to focus on is the Future Small Caps Fund. A, because you know, we're interested in that sustainable um, space, but also small caps to our audience is something that um, we don't necessarily get a lot of information on. So Mm. it'd be be good to start digging in there. We're, you know, fascinated about the research process. So we'd love to understand a bit about firstly, your just day to day Mm -hmm. in the fund. Mm -hmm. So firstly, what does your fund try to achieve? And then we'll kind of go into a bit more.
0: Yeah, so what our fund does is it really tries to go out and find interesting small and medium-sized companies that are looking to contribute towards what we call a sustainable future. So our investment philosophy is that you actually do better and generate better returns when you think about the ESG credentials of a company. And so we we think of ourselves as, yes, we're a pure play sustainable fund, but actually we're a really strong performing smaller companies fund. And we've been able to demonstrate this by outperforming the benchmark, which is a term called generating alpha. And, And we've had a about 9% alpha in the last year, which is good as of June 30. So, you know, it is is investment style to, to invest sustainably, but it really generates better returns. And so I kind of say you can do good while doing well.
2: And what benchmark are you benchmarked to? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we are versus the small ordinaries. So okay. that's kind of a group of smaller companies on the stock exchange yep. and and that's our benchmark.
1: Nice. And are you Australian, New Zealand focused or are you global? Yep,
0: yep. So we're just Australian listed equities only. We also have some New Zealand stocks in the portfolio, but we're, we're just Australian smaller companies. So X50 and really focusing on that small and mid capitalization space. And basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to use capital to solve global sustainability challenges. So they're things like improving outcomes for climate change, for water scarcity, educational outcomes, social inequality and improved healthcare. So, So they're kind of the themes that we're focused on in the fund. So
1: really small problems.
0: By <laughs> yeah. solving big problems with small companies. I like it. Oh, that's, a good, that's a good tagline. I'm going to use that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so just for our listeners, the ticker for the fund is IMPQ. On the ASX. So, if you're interested in getting involved in this fund, go and find that in your broker.
1: And if you're not interested now, you might be in about 25 (laughs) minutes' time. (laughs) I'll do my best. (laughs) So, at the start of the show, I introduced the game as ethical or unethical, and the preferred terminology is sustainable or unsustainable. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to sort of get into some definitions about how you think about ESG investing. And if you can maybe expand on the preferred terminology and why you prefer, Sustainable over ethical?
0: Yeah, sure. So ESG is a term for the environmental, social, and governance performance of a company. So when we're looking at the environment, we're thinking about greenhouse gas emissions, water management, pollution. In social, it's all about the employees and the customer treatment. In governance, we're thinking about the board, diversity, independence, things like that. So Actually, when you're ESG investing, you're considering these issues in the investment decisioning process. But there's there's different grades of, of ESG investing. We're kind of on quite that sustainable end, which we call dark green. But if you're only just kind of Lightly considering ESG factors, you're, you're considered to be more light light green investor. And there's things like negative screening, which is all about excluding kind of the bad things, so the, the sin industries or the light of the light. And then you also have on that far end impact investing, which is all about, about making positive change for society and then the environment. And when we're thinking about sustainability, we're more looking about general practices of the business, ESG credentials and the like. But actually ethical investing is more about does it meet your ethical values and values differ from person to person.
2: How many companies do you actually have in the fund yeah.
0: Yep. So, so we target anywhere between 30 to 70 companies, but we've got about 45 in, in, wow. in the portfolio at the moment. People say, well, does it narrow your investment universe? Actually, there's heaps of examples of really interesting smaller companies that are doing great things to help benefit society and actually are doing this on a global scale. And we're increasingly finding that more and more. So it's a very cool space to be in and mm. lots, of, lots of change happening.
1: I like the dark green to light green spectrum. I haven't heard of that before. Is there a lot of like rivalry between the different <laughs> funds about like how dark green you are?
0: <laughs> and Well, actually, funny you say that because there is a little bit more focus on are they greenwashing like we spoke about before, you know? We consider ourselves pretty pretty pure pure play sustainability. So we don't just negative screen, we go out and find those positive contributors. But there are some sustainability funds that might just take their everyday portfolio and screen out maybe thermal coal or, or tobacco. So there could be some stocks in there that you might be like, oh, why is that in my portfolio? Mm. And I do encourage anyone who's investing in sustainable assets through their super, for instance, to go in and check the underlying holdings, because sometimes you might be surprised like this doesn't seem yeah, sustainable yeah. to me. So and that's just because of the nature of how they're doing their negative screens.
1: Are there any funds you Want to call out on the show? (laughs)
0: I'm not going to
1: name any names.
0: I'm not going to name any names, but but, IMPQ, pure play. (laughs) Dark green.
2: With the screening process, how often are you actually reviewing the companies that make it in? You know, If they're a small cap company, Mm -hmm. a lot of room for things to change as they grow. Of course, yeah. When do you do the review process? Yeah, like Bryce has
1: been trying to pivot us into tobacco.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So before we invest in a company, we actually speak to management about sustainability in general, and we send them an email asking them if they have any exposure to our exclusions list. So we actually find out pretty quickly whether they do or not. But a big part of our role is engaging with companies and improving outcomes. So we're speaking to them every month sometimes and just making sure that they're still on track, they're doing the right things, any deviations in performance from a sustainability point of view. You know, if they lose a female director, we encourage them to appoint another one or if they don't have any. To begin with. So, you know, and, and if there was a change in circumstances, we do typically reduce our holdings and in some severe cases, um, divest. And that particularly comes out during AGM season when we see all their sustainability reports and the remuneration of the executives and whether it aligns.
2: It's interesting you say reduce your whole. you mean reduce your exposure in the company? To me, you're either all in or not in at all.
1: <laughs> if you're you yeah, know what I, I mean? Like what it's... You're, saying. Yeah, you're either ethical or unethical. Yeah. It's not like you're less yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: You can't be half pregnant kind of stuff.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so it is an interesting debate. I mean some ESG investment funds like to hold on to assets because they believe that that's the best way to make change is to have capital in there. So as shareholders, they can initiate change. Our view is that we really like companies that have a positive focus. And in the small cap space, you typically find they might be focused on supplying water to regions which are really limited in supply for water resources, but their governance systems are really bad. So they might have a lack of independent directors on the board, which can kind of cloud how they drive the company going forward or they might not have diverse in terms of gender or background and they're things that we can help change and engage with the management so we can say and it happened recently you know we said we want to see another female on the board here's some recommendations please go and appoint them we'll vote for you in this AGM but if things haven't changed by next AGM we're going to vote against and we might divest or we might reduce our holdings
1: nice did they appoint a female director?
0: They're in the process, which okay. is really good. <laughs> nice. Really good. Nice. That's great. Right.
1: I think conceptually negative screening makes sense for a mm-hmm. lot of people. You're in tobacco, you're in gambling, you're in alcohol, whatever it yep. is, you're out. Positive screening, I think, for people is a little bit more conceptually nuanced, shall mm-hmm. we say, especially when, you know, we've got so many different industries and, you know, we, we spoke about lithium miners before, serving a really important purpose in the transition to renewables, but have some questions about them as you know, their environmental practices and stuff like that. So when you're thinking about positive screening, how do you balance those factors across different industries and across different sectors of the market?
0: So we have a process that is called our ESG and E-Score. So that's environment, social governance, but also engagement. And it's a score out of 10 for each of those factors and engagement is weighed the most. And that allows us to kind of compare... So it's an absolute score. So we can compare different companies and different sectors. And that's kind of one way that we can measure it. As you said, it is a little bit nuanced and it does depend company by company, particularly on their focus on what they're doing. But the biggest benefit is the ability as active managers to be able to engage with management and really discuss with them about how they're thinking about sustainability. And that's kind of where we make the decision whether it's going to cross the line or not.
1: I've got to ask, what company has the highest ESG plus A score uh, (laughs) on the ASX?
0: (laughs) That's a really good question. There would be a couple. I, I don't know if there's a straight 10. Okay, Um, But there's a couple of nines and maybe we can jump into a few examples a little bit later, but they're companies that, you know, have a positive focus, but then have really good reporting, ESG reporting, really solid management team, diverse, they have great outcomes for their, for their customers. So yeah, I actually should have a look at what's our top performer. That's a good question.
1: So no tens means every company needs to lift their game, basically. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) that's what our job is as well.
1: So on that theme of positive screening and, you know, different factors being more relevant in different sectors and stuff like that, obviously you're Australia, New Zealand focused. But when you think about, you know, other markets, how do you sort of weigh, you know, different ethical standards and stuff in different countries around the world?
0: Yeah, so obviously there's different regulatory environments across different geographies. So developed markets might have more rigorous expectations than more more developing countries. You know, you kind of want to avoid some of those more high risk geographies that have can have reputational risks or potentially corruption or, or fraudulent activities. So so we are careful of that. In terms of actually ESG investing, Europe is definitely the leader here. So they're, you know, they've got an EU taxonomy which um, is coming into force, which is all about rating the sustainability credentials of ESG funds claiming to be sustainable. So that's really interesting. They're obviously doing lots of work on carbon emissions Mm. and the like. The US is quickly following so that they are behind, but you're seeing that asset class grow rapidly. There's a statistic that for Australian New Zealand investments, about 63% have some kind of sustainability criteria that the fund is using, which is really interesting and not one that many people expect. But like we said, probably most of that is very light green
1: yeah yeah being an ethical investor in europe seems too easy these days you (laughs) know the government steps in there's a lot of focus on it there's a lot of capital on it i want to see ethical investing (laughs) funds in you know the third world
0: (laughs) well you know one day i really hope that There's no such thing as a sustainable fund. Just everyone is focused Mm. on on generating positive outcomes. So that's the goal to put myself out of a job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That will be the day when that happens. (laughs) The day, the dream. (laughs) (laughs) There'll be a lot of fund inflows to your fund before that happens. I hope so. (laughs) I think you'll be in a job for a while.
2: (laughs) So, Emily, you mentioned the exclusions list is part of the process that Mm -hmm. you send to the company to understand if they're exposed to any Mm -hmm. of those exclusions. Where does your research process sort of go and what's the flow? How does it work? It'd be pretty interesting to know.
0: Yeah, yeah. So first we actually need to find stock ideas. So we get those from a whole different range of sources, whether that's we've come across them from other people in the market, our team members might find new and interesting ideas, or there might be companies that come to us that are raising capital or listing on the stock exchange. So finding the idea is the the first starting point. And then we'll do a quick due diligence process looking at their financials. So their profitability, their cash flow statement, and also their balance sheet Sheet, of course, so their cash position. And we want to make sure there's no dodgy accounting going on there. We want to make sure that they're profitable, or at least on the path to profitability. And then we're also looking at the backgrounds of the board and the management team, making sure they're capable, they've got a good track record, they meet the diverse skills that that are required to run that company. And we actually might even test their product or service. So in the case where it's an app, we'll download that app and we'll use it. And we'll look at the reviews on Google, we will discuss with competitors or, or key consumers of the product and And just kind of get an understanding of how they see them. And then we will also meet with management and that's where we get a real sense of the strategic direction of the business, how they plan to run it, what is their management style. And if there's no red flags from that, we'll actually build a model. So we'll build a financial model. We'll estimate what we think that their earnings will look like in the next three years and if valuation looks okay. So uh, we want to make sure it's not too expensive and the liquidity is adequate. So that kind of means that there's enough funds going in and out of the stock that we can buy in easily and exit easily as well, then we'll, we'll look to invest. So that's kind of how the process works.
2: One of the, I guess, things that we discuss with small cap managers is the fact that they're always zooming across the country to go and meet with <laughs> yes. clients. And, you know, it's very hard to get information yeah. from for small caps. Yeah. I imagine COVID has killed the ability <laughs> for funds to go and meet. So is this just happening all over Zoom now or how are you actually meeting Yeah, heaps,
0: heaps of Zoom. So Zoom's been a really useful tool and actually a massive time saver of <laughs> having to <laughs> run around. Um, so it's so a lot more efficient. So some people have said there's been commentary out there in the market that maybe you don't get as good a sense of the sentiment mm. from, from CEOs, which is kind of a key advantage of, of meeting and talking with these companies. But we found it pretty effective, very easy to access CEOs through Zoom all across the world, which is exactly what we want to be doing. So it's been an interesting change. The problem is obviously site visits are a little bit more challenging, so we can't go and visit the factories or the place of employment, which you do tend to get quite good insight from doing that. But other than that, it's business as usual and there's still opportunities coming.
2: Do you have a market cap limit?
0: Yeah, so in our fund specifically, we don't invest in any stocks below fifty million market cap. And we have a limit of five stocks under two hundred million market cap as well. And our actually our weighted average market capitalization is around one point seven billion. All oh, right. Um Small so cap. so yeah look we're we're not right down in the very speculative point of the market we're pretty focused on making sure they're not burning too much cash so we don't kind of tend to focus on on speculative stocks we want to see path to profitability
1: so small caps are an an interesting space for a lot of our community and there's obviously some differences when you're looking at the smaller end of the market compared to you know the Mm -hmm. BHPs and the Facebooks of the world. What are some particular characteristics that you look for in a small cap stock?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, firstly, when I talked about just cash flow profitable or, or clear path to profitability, making sure that there's no dodgy accounting practices going on. How do and you
2: make sure there's no dodgy accounting practices?
0: You have to look really close at the numbers and just monitor that over time, build out your own model, talk to management about anything that maybe might be aggressive accounting or not aggressive enough. That's that can be the other problem. So, yeah, so not burning cash, looking at the uh, the balance sheet, making sure they have stable cash flows and also just making sure the management team has a good track record that's also really important because you don't want someone who's first time CEO and about to list on the stock exchange you you really want that that good track record and management ability
1: that's something that often comes up when we're speaking to fund managers and analysts and stuff that that manager track record Obviously, you guys have the ability to actually speak to the director or the CEO or whoever it is. For retail investors, what are some tips you have to figure out if a manager has a good track record
0: or not? Yeah, it is a challenging one. I think some companies are tending to put a little bit more material through videos or, or social media, which you could potentially do, but also reading about them. Have they been in the AFR? Is there, Has there been any controversies in their past? Another thing to look at is how much stock they own. So, are they invested in their own business? Have they been selling recently? That's a good indicator. But if you can see their background, look on their LinkedIn. I'm like always talking people on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, so, just have a look at that as well because that will give you a good, good idea of what their background is like.
2: You guys should wear GoPros to your site business and, 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 and then sell
1: that footage oh, to retail probably investors. Probably would
0: be valuable. Copyright, or, copyright, copyright. I'll
1: bring a microphone and we'll release it as a podcast. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> We're not going to do that. We're a sustainable fund.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and what's the what's the t- general time period between harvesting the idea and then actually putting money into the stock?
0: It can vary. We have quite a few different investment products across perennial more broadly. And we have a private to public fund as well. And that basically looks at companies maybe three years out of IPO. And so we might get that idea and we'll be following it for all the way from when they invest up until they list on the stock exchange. You know, we have stocks that we've been looking at for years that that we one day might invest. So, or it can be really instant. It might be an idea that just comes to market. And after our due diligence, we invest within, you know, a few weeks could be.
1: We're keen to get a little bit specific here about one particular stock, mm-hmm. and it was the largest position that your fund held as of the 31st of March. Mm-hmm. You can confirm or deny whether it's still the largest <laughs> if you choose to. The company is Genetic Signatures, yeah. Uh, ASX ticker GSS. Yep. So I guess, can you tell us a bit about the company, but maybe talk us through the the process that you know you found the company and you researched it and stuff like that?
0: Yeah. So Genetic Signatures is a biotechnology company, and it actually has developed a rapid pathology testing kit and what it can do is detect infectious disease within five hours and actually do so with a lot more precision so um, you get a lot less false negatives, which is obviously really important when you're dealing with infectious disease. And what they were able...
1: Does that include COVID? I was Sorry. going to say Well, that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well are, are funny you, that? Funny yeah. you <laughs> say. Is
1: there
0: a <laughs> <laughs> So what happened is that we, we really liked the company because of the improvement and obviously patient outcomes from rapid pathology testing kits. But when COVID happened, they were actually able to modify their kits to include the test of COVID. Um, and their stock price hit really well out of that.
2: It's up 15% right now today. Yeah, today. yeah it's doing well <laughs> today. We're, we're recording on the 3rd of July. So.
0: Yeah. So, so we we actually bought Jeez. the stock in a capital raise back in end of 2019 for 98 cents. So, yesterday it was $2.30 and obviously it's up again today. And we still think there's more valuation upside from here. You know, good management team, great product, improving patient outcomes, ticks a lot of our boxes. So, we're quite happy with that investment, obviously.
1: Yeah. A couple of days after the market bottomed, it jumped up 80% in a week. Yeah. That would have
0: been a good week. <laughs> yeah. Good, good week for us. But But like you said, like that's not a one-off. We have lots of examples of where this kind of stuff happens for our companies we hold. And we believe that kind of the focus on sustainability allows us to find these good companies that are really doing amazing things and considering all types of risk across their business and and positive outcomes and, and they're going to do better.
2: With small caps like this, where does value sit in the spectrum of thinking about keeping in your portfolio or not? Like it's run a fair bit now. Yeah. Obviously with these small cap companies, it's sort of like a growth mindset, mm. where, where does value sit?
0: Yeah, so look, it's hard. We think that it's still got a lot more sales that it can do. We can think that it can reach a lot more geographies and also it's in FDA or, or in process of getting FDA approval for testing in the US. So that's obviously gonna present a lot of upside if that comes through as well. So it it is just balancing, you know, the risk around valuation upside and it looks like we did trim a little bit after the strong performance. It's still in our portfolio, but it's it's not the biggest weight. So so we do take some some winnings. But just because we do see that there's a lot of potential from here for upside, um, we do still hold it.
1: So I'm interested to move to the ethical considerations for this company. So I'm going to guess that the exclusion list wasn't an issue, that the pathology company probably doesn't. Fall into any of the <laughs> sin or you know carbon no. intensive industries, no. so then it then it becomes a question of looking at the company and you know doing a sort of positive screening, I guess, so can you talk us through that process and some of the factors that you weighed and you know obviously it passed, but like that process
0: yeah, so pharmaceutical companies obviously there' sometimes they can be a risk because you're thinking about things like are they improving patient outcomes in this case, we believe yes because we're seeing better outcomes, i mean less false negatives is obviously of extreme benefit and having a result within five hours is is really beneficial. But you also, when you're thinking about pharmaceutical companies, you want to make sure they're not price gorging. You want to make sure that there's access and affordability for customers. Animal testing, so oh, we, yeah. we like to avoid companies that are testing on animals and you also want to make sure they're doing their trials safely. So they're kind of the other things to think about. But in, in Genetic Signature's case, it's it's all good, we believe, from a sustainability perspective.
2: So I'm just uh, – uh, did you have a follow-up to that one? No,
1: really? I was just going to say you, you peel back the onion on all of these things and things I didn't think about like animal testing, yeah. how they're conducting trials, all that, like – Yeah, that's why you're not an ESJ. Yeah, (laughs) I (laughs) know.
2: That is very true. (laughs) I'm just looking at some of the holdings in the fund at the moment, and. I'm very pleased to see that the company that holds the second highest weighting is my stock pick of the year, City Chic Collective. We love City Chic. Uh, So do I. (laughs) So how did that make it in?
0: Yeah, so City Chic is what we call an engaged improver. So they're a group of stocks that you might not consider in a sustainability-friendly industry, but actually they're doing amazing things from a sustainability perspective. So in City Chic's case, they are doing heaps of work on the living wage, so making sure everyone in their supply chain is getting paid a fair salary that allows them to actually live a reasonable quality of life. So you're thinking about minimum wage doesn't necessarily guarantee you a quality of life. But the living wage is is the concept that it's it's more sustainable to live off. Um, so they're doing great things there. They're doing factory checks. They have grievance hotlines for for workers who can report any issues in their supply chain. And they promote a really positive body image. So if you for the Listeners who haven't heard of City Chic, it is a plus-size women's fashion retailer, and it's, it's all about promoting positive body image and and confidence within yourself. So we really love the message. They have a great management team they really tackling the online space. So most of their sales are through the online channel. They're expanding into the US. This environment, they've done really well. They potentially some more acquisition opportunities as kind of more of their competitors struggle in this environment if they're, they're not online focused. So we really like City Chic.
1: Great. Booming. <laughs> <laughs> Without knowing the company in as much detail as you, do considerations around things like fast fashion come into play with this company or are they pretty good in that area.
0: Fast fashion is definitely a consideration for us. And that's why it is an engaged improver and not what we call a sustainable future enabler. But the positives outweigh the negatives yeah. in that case. So, you know, even though it is fast fashion, there's a lot of other sustainability benefits that, that the stock brings. So we like that one.
1: I like the concept of an engaged improver. If City Shake improve, we'll be able to come back to this podcast and say, you guys <laughs> delivered it. <laughs> yeah.
2: What has Perpetual done to make it into the fund?
0: Yeah. So Perpetual is a financial stock. It is an investment manager and actually recently acquired a sustainability company called Trillium. And they're really focused on obviously sustainable investing. So we quite like that. The management team's really engaged on on diversity and the like. Um, again, this, this is what we call a positive ESG score. That means that it's you know, not necessarily doing amazing things for sustainability, but it's not, it's not doing bad things either. So it it scores well in our ESG and E scoring mechanism, but it's not one that we would say is delivering amazing sustainability performance. It's just doing well. It's a good contributor and it adds diversity to our fund. Nice.
2: And then finally, from looking at the portfolio, obviously cash is the largest position at the moment. Is that uh, generally how it works or is it because of what's going on at the moment?
0: Yeah. So so cash, we typically, there's a limit. We can't have more than 10% of cash. Mm-hmm. What Cash does move around a little bit and that's because we might receive inflows into the fund and therefore we don't want to rush to go and buy things. We actually want to wait for opportunities to present themselves. So it does provide us a little bit of optionality around that. So as things, you know, as the market is a bit more volatile, we can buy things when it goes down or we might have sold a holding, which has, has left more cash in the portfolio. But yeah, we do have a maximum of 10% cash. It's sitting, under 9% at the moment, but that is basically just to provide opportunities and optionality for the fund.
1: Nice. So I'm interested to move to the broader world of ethical investing. Obviously, it's a constantly changing space. I imagine carbon emissions is with a bullet, the number one thing at the moment. But what are some of the other big themes that we're seeing in 2020? And maybe some of the ones that are a little bit under the radar or underrated?
0: Yeah, cool. So 2020 has actually been an amazing year for ESG investing. It's been around for a while, but a lot of ESG funds haven't really existed pre the last financial crisis, so the 07-08. And so people were a little bit sceptical about, okay, is there a performance trade-off to invest in a sustainable way? And what, what the COVID situation pandemic did was show that these ESG funds typically outperformed and that kind of renewed the interest in in the asset class and there's a number of different i guess issues that have come to surface so environmental has always been the biggest focus for for sustainable funds and and the society more broadly. But it did kind of lose a little bit of momentum into the COVID crisis as companies kind of went into survival mode. And what actually became more front of mind was the social issues, which have typically been a little bit more ignored. So, you know, we've seen a lot of community and societal movements around Black Lives Matter, and then also a bit of the unrest around the blasting of Jukan Gorge by Rio, which was the Indigenous heritage site. And so we're seeing a lot of kind of more social license to operate factors that are going on. If you also think about social, that's treatment of employees, companies that already had a working from home policy or flexible working arrangements actually would have had quite an easy transition going into this crisis where everyone had to work from home. Those with more engaged workforce are going to have a more productive set of employees working from home. So actually social has been really important. Also modern slavery so there was a legal act that came comes into force this year that requires large companies to actually report on any modern slavery risks in their supply chain and how they're managing those risks. So that's been a big focus. There's around 40 million people globally in, in modern slavery conditions. So that includes things like forced labour, debt bondage, child labour, bad work conditions and, and low, low wages. The other really topical thing is governance. So, you know what's the diversity of their workforce, ASX3, ASX200, companies only have about 30% of women on the board and only 18% of chair people are, are female. So that's something that we have to bridge the gap. And also in governance, you know, companies that have performed poorly and that are raising capital, should they really be then, um, you know, lifting the pay for the CEO, for example. And so so we're looking at those kind of governance type of issues. Mm.
1: So those were the numbers for the ASX 200, the 30% and the mm-hmm. 18%. How does it compare to your universe in the small cap space?
0: Unfortunately, it is a lot lower, but it is improving, particularly as investors are putting a little bit more pressure on, on boards and on companies to improve those outcomes. Like I mentioned earlier, we think 30% is a minimum. You should be striving for equal representation because that's what society is, right? So where there's situations where a company is an equal representation, we will write to them and we'll say, what are you doing about this issue? And depending on their response, we will vote against their remuneration report or we will divest our holdings. And we can also help them. So we we provide recommendations for good female directors in the industry as well.
1: So obviously you touched on COVID there and COVID has changed a lot of things for a lot of people. When you think about sustainable investing, has this COVID period changed how you analyse any of these issues or how you think about sustainable investing more generally?
0: Since COVID, we've been really considering of how have they treated their employees over this period? So have they laid them off or are they trying to help help keep them on in in these times? What are they doing with customers? Are they providing hardship requests? Um, Are they doing everything they can to keep their customers safe during this time? What are their call waiting times like? We've seen a few of the banks, you know, people might be on the phone for hours just trying to get in hold because they're having a hardship issue.
1: I needed to cancel a Qantas flight and their call time was about a week. So I guess they're (laughs) unethical.
0: (laughs) Well, it's like we have to take into consideration, right? And what you find kind of more in the smaller spaces, they have newer tech systems and they have an ability to kind of address concerns maybe more quickly than some of the traditional players yeah. but yeah it's something we've been watching
2: so emily before we get to our final three questions that we ask our guests is there anywhere that uh, our audience can go to find out more information about what we've discussed today about eInvest and perennial or yourself yeah, sure. Social media, what, your LinkedIn. <laughs> or...
0: <laughs> you can definitely check out the fund at invest.com.au and we'll also have links to any of the relevant information uh, in the bottom of the show notes and also at invest.com.au forward slash equity mate. And obviously, please reach out if you want to have a chat, go and do your work. If you're looking to invest sustainably, make sure you understand all of the companies in the portfolio and there's no red flags. And we're always happy to chat about any of the sustainability credentials of our holdings.
1: Nice. So, if you want a real dark green fund, unlike any of those light green pretenders out there, this is the one for you.
0: <laughs> we hope so. We try. <laughs>
1: so, as Bryce said, we do like to end every interview with the same three questions. So, we'll get stuck into those. The first one is, do you have any must-read books? And these can be investing or otherwise.
0: Yeah, It would be fitting of me to suggest some ESG-related books. So I recently read Dark Emu, which is by Bruce Pascoe, and that kind of challenges the traditional recount of the European settlement on on Australia and the perception of Indigenous Australians as hunter-gatherers. So that's, that's really worth a read. I also recently finished superpower, Australia's low carbon opportunity, which kind of goes through why Australia is really well positioned to be the renewable energy leader um, of the world. And on a slightly different note, another one of my favourite kind of not investing books, but I guess organisational books is Exponential Organisations. And that's all about how companies can foster a culture of innovation to succeed in a world that's rapidly changing Technology. So, they're all three books that I, I recommend.
1: Nice one. Good recommendations. So, the next question is, what is your go-to source for investing or financial information?
0: Yeah. So, as a research analyst, actually, we do a lot of our own own research. We don't tend to rely on others. So, so we're reading the financial reports, annual reports, sustainability reports, talking to management, as as I've kind of mentioned. But AFI is a really good source of information for just kind of day-to-day company updates and market updates. So I definitely recommend that. And hopefully if you have an iPhone, you can see stock movements through the app there. So yeah, we, we like to do our own research.
1: Fair enough. I don't have an iPhone because I think Apple's an unethical <laughs> company. You've got elastic bands around your phone. Well, you did yesterday. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what's going on. Screen, the screen came off because it wasn't an iPhone. You know, it wasn't as well made. <laughs> okay, so last question. If you think back to you know the start of your investing journey when you were wor- working in the bar, investing in that first Asian ATF and signing up to Acorns, what advice would you give to your younger self?
0: I think... People from time to time, and especially me, can kind of have a little bit of self-doubt. I mean, what I would have told is just really back myself. You know, my view is as good as anyone else's view. It provides a diverse opinion. I did see a TED talk with Mike Cannon Brooks, who is the CEO and co-founder of Atlassian, and he kind of spoke about this concept of imposter syndrome, how you kind of feel inadequate in what you do. And he says that, you know, most people do have, have that feeling that maybe they don't feel qualified enough to, to be doing what they're doing. Just push past that and back yourself and really have faith in what you doing. doing, do the work and you'll be able to succeed.
2: Nice one. Love it. Great way to finish the interview, Emily. So absolutely appreciate you coming on and sharing your process as a research equities analyst. And, you know, as we said, this space is kind of hot in our audience at the moment. So it's always good to get a a fresh opinion on what's out there and and, uh, give our audience a... I guess, a different way of thinking about things. So, appreciate you coming on the show.
0: Thanks, guys. Do I, am I an equity mate now?
2: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: <laughs> of course, for <full> life. <laughs>
2: You've got to get an equity mates tattoo though. That's the only thing. <laughs> Done. <laughs> nice one. Appreciate Thanks, you coming guys. on.
0: Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of EquityMates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional.